welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of 2 Thessalonians. We are currently in chapter 2 at verse 13. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we? In verse 13 of chapter 2 of the book of 2 Thessalonians, where Paul writes this. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So we find ourselves at the end of chapter 2 for this episode. And chapter 3, as we have said before, these chapters are uh, divided uh, in a manner that seems to be consistent with the, with the content. We, uh, we have taken an outline that, that uh, shows that as a pattern, that for chapter 1 had to do with persecution and waiting with courage. Uh, chapter 2 is prophecy, watching with composure. So this uh, final uh, couple of paragraphs here in chapter 2 uh, adds to that theme that they are watching with composure. And uh, Paul is ending this particular section uh, with his prayer here. And uh, in fact, uh, it almost sounds like a benediction, uh, that very uh, last sentence or so. But uh, it's kind of still yet in the middle of the book. Uh, chapter 3 will carry us uh, through the to the end, of course, and that is the practice. What is their behavior now that they know these things? Uh, working with commitment, and that's chapter 3. So then, with uh, this idea of prophecy, watching with composure, uh, we have three main sections that uh, we have followed through this, and uh, the, uh, what we are now in is the final section, but the first section was verses 1 and 2, talking about gathered to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the believers will be caught up together uh, with him in the air. He he will not uh, uh, come down immediately to the earth to plant his feet, so to speak, on, uh, on the earth or on Mount Zion, as was predicted in the Old Testament, but rather we are gathered to him. And uh, that means that uh, if that that's what we're looking forward to, then the day of the Lord that has been prophesied in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament prophets, uh, it is not yet. Now, in the middle section, verses 3 through 12, 
we are to be unalarmed by the day of the Lord because the man of lawlessness is not yet revealed. And so he will be revealed later. And um, and yet until that time, there's no reason for uh, us to be alarmed by somehow being caught in a trap by the day of the Lord. Uh, we are to be gathered with the Lord Jesus in the air to meet him there and be with him there. And we um, will um, basically um, carry out a, a uh, uh, an exit uh, strategy, you might say. It's not our strategy, it's the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit within his bride, his church, uh, his body on earth, that is the, the, the church that we know of, that is the true church, uh, uh, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself being the restrainer that keeps the, uh, the man of lawlessness from being revealed, then when the uh, restrainer is revealed, removed, we are removed with the restrainer because why? We are the inhabitants of the Holy Spirit, or that is, we are the habitation of the Holy Spirit on earth. Therefore, when he goes, he takes us with him to meet the Lord in the air. Now, uh, many people kind of... uh, strafe at that, or sometimes uh, there's some uh, quite a bit of disagreement among among believers and some uh, even uh, some Bible believing uh, uh, scholars and preachers, uh, and yet. Uh, they uh, they still kind of uh, say that well that isn't taught anywhere in scripture and and uh, I just have to turn to First uh, Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians as well as First Corinthians chapter fifteen that it very clearly speaks of an experience in which every true believers and and those who have passed away that are currently uh, uh, in their uh, uh, in their graves that they will be changed in a twinkling of an eye it says and we will join them in the air to meet the Lord and um, well they say well the rapture uh, that's the common term for that idea uh, uh, the rapture is found no place in the New Testament and uh, and yet uh, I have to say that uh, that's because you're not necessarily using the uh, Latin version of the uh, New Testament because the Latin version, it is used. And uh, in this being caught up, this being caught away uh, to meet the Lord in the air. And uh, that's where it's used, is in the Latin translation. But uh, uh, regardless of what what terminology you use, it is very clearly uh, uh, explained in these two books, especially in First and Second Thessalonians. In fact, uh, that's part of the whole point of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. So that in this idea, uh, then, in this final chapter, we are saved through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, we are sanctified through his work. We are saved by his work so that, therefore, the gospel, we are to stand firm in it. And uh, that's that uh, that third and final section of chapter 2 in which we are today. And that refers to um, verses 13 and 14. Paul talks about the truth. Verse 15, he talks about the teachings, or in this translation, it's, uh, he, he calls it the traditions. And then uh, verses 16 and 17, Paul talks about the strength in his, in his benediction here. And uh, 
So let's uh, get going, so to speak, in actually unfolding what we have in front of us and uh, looking at the words that uh, Paul has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Now notice he is just now coming out of this context, talking about the fact that uh, when the uh, uh, when the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, is revealed, that there will also be a deluding influence uh, upon the earth and on the people of the earth. And the deluding influence is a part of the judgment because they have chosen not to believe the truth. And since they did not believe the truth, then their minds are open to all sorts of deception and they are willing to be deluded. It's like joining this enormous global cult. And they are a part of this cult of following uh, this person that uh, uh, we commonly call him the Antichrist. But in this passage, he he is um, one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. Um, and he, is, uh, he comes with deception and wickedness for those who perish. And um, so they failed to receive the truth and be saved, uh, be saved from not only eternity uh, of judgment, but also be saved from the rule of this particular man and his influence upon the global society that he is trying to set up. And he says, so uh, we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord. So in contrast to those who are who will be judged, who did not believe the truth, Paul wants to give them, the Thessalonian believers, the confidence in knowing that they are not considered by Paul to be a part of that group. You see, that's that's the whole point of chapter 2, is that the Thessalonians had gotten themselves all wrapped up into, into some uh, false teaching or literature or something that got passed around or somebody that came from church to church and uh, tried to tell them, well, this is the day of the Lord. This is the uh, uh, the tribulation or the great tribulation, and they thought that that's what they were experiencing, and um, and yet it shows that that uh, the church may may very well have to go through all sorts of persecution, just like the Thessalonians did. This life was not easy for them. It wasn't like they were uh, they were. Uh, they were blessed with all sorts of privileges and uh, and freedoms and liberties. Uh, these people faced uh, daily, faced uh, persecution for their faith. So that's not the point here. The point is that uh, they are the ones that will be rescued. They are the ones that will be caught up together to be with the Lord forever. And uh, Paul wants them to know that, and he does not consider them at risk for losing what they have in the Lord Jesus, for for losing what they have in the Holy Spirit or in the truth, that uh, uh, Paul wants them to know that uh, uh, he doesn't think they are part of the those that will be judged. And that's the reason why there's this, this uh, contrast between verse 12 and verse 13. We should give thanks to God for you. Uh, Paul is always giving thanks for churches, but in this one in particular, he started out uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, he says that uh, he's, he's thanking God for them, and uh, he says, knowing that, uh, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. So, 
Paul is constantly encouraging these people by saying, I thank God that that it's very evident that God has reached out and chosen you. You are the ones with true faith. You have received the gospel. You have received the truth because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit uh, and faith in the truth. Paul says, I don't doubt your faith. I don't doubt that your faith has been placed in the truth. I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit is currently residing in you. And so Paul is basically giving them all sorts of encouragement. They are both beloved of God and they are chosen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. You see, that's why he chose those of faith, those who have faith in the truth. He chose those as those who will one day also be holy with him. And uh, he has installed his Holy Spirit in them, in us who have believed the truth of the gospel. And that because the Holy Spirit is residing inside of all true believers, then that in itself makes us holy. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have our own faults and problems and difficulties and stresses and, and flaws uh, in our personality and in our, our uh, walk with Christ, but it, it uh, definitely uh, shows us that uh, we are considered by the Word of God to be uh, uh, the saints of God, that we are holy because the Holy Spirit is in us, and He has set us apart from everybody else who's rejected the truth. And And that is a form of what the Bible calls sanctification. And uh, we're going to get into this uh, and more as as we take a little break here. Uh, Join us on the other side and we'll continue on in the exposition of this passage. So then it says that uh, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And when he talks about salvation here, it's important to understand the context of this entire chapter in order to understand why Paul is using these words in this context, because uh, we normally knee-jerk into seeing the word salvation, and we think of uh, the gift of eternal life or the, the penalty of sin being paid on our behalf, and that gives us salvation from the, b- being judged for our sins. But in the, And that is very, very true, by the way. I'm not denying any of that. But, uh, but what I am saying is that the, the, the application for uh, the term 
sanctification in this passage has a context, and its context is is about the um, the man of lawlessness being revealed and the day of the Lord entering in, and the uh, the um, the restrainer being removed, and all of those things happening. Well, that's that's the application of the term sanctification in this passage. You see, it's not. It's not all about us getting saved in the sense that uh, we're now going to heaven where we die. It's the idea that we are being rescued out of this uh, period of time on earth in which the man of lawlessness will set up his global kingdom and will somehow attempt to replace the Lord Jesus and his kingdom. And uh, during that period of time, we will be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and we will return with him when he finally comes to set his feet on Mount Zion. But in the meantime, he is assuring the believers that are currently on earth that they will be set apart by the Holy Spirit, set apart how? And saved and sanctified from this future uh, historical moment on earth in which the man of lawlessness will rule and have his way and will even take God's place in the holy of holies in the Jewish structure, whatever that might be, of where the holy of holies is, and he will set himself up there and uh, will commit the abomination of desolation. Well, Paul is assuring these dear Thessalonians that uh, they will not see that. Uh, They will be set apart by the Spirit of God and by faith in the truth. And it says, it was for this he called you through our gospel. God has a purpose to be be, uh, saved, to be saved from eternal death. a judgment for our sin, but also to be saved from the day of the Lord, to be saved from the deception of the lawless one, to be saved from the deluded influence that will be prevailing uh, during that period of time, and prevail uh, and be saved from the judgment that uh, uh, will happen to those who did not believe the truth. But if you have trusted the truth to be the truth, and the gospel is the truth, then uh, then you have a different destiny. That's his whole point here. That's what God called you uh, out of so that you, your destiny is with him. And that's what the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is all about. The Holy Spirit has made you holy just by, by the fact of his presence in you. And then he is making you holy by setting you apart from your old self and from your old flesh and from, from all of those things that once held you you in bondage and so that your behavior begins to change because the Holy Spirit is taking charge of your behavior and of your attitudes and of your actions. And all of that is involved in what is called sanctification. It was for this he called you through our gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's not necessarily owned by Paul. It's not Paul's gospel per se, but these believers heard it from Paul. So Paul is speaking very accurately when he says, you believed our gospel because it is the gospel. And uh, it was double checked. Uh, according to the testimony of the book of Galatians, it was it was double checked with all the authorities that were uh, were anywhere near authorities in the, uh, in the Jerusalem church and in the apostles, and they were completely consistent 
consistent with each other. And Paul received this gospel directly from Jesus. And uh, this gospel is a message of salvation. And that's exactly what uh, Paul is talking about, is the gospel that saves. You see, he he, he talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in, in verses 1 through 8. I'd like to just read it for you uh, because it's a passage that uh, for many regards are, is, sort of, uh, is sort of ignored. I don't know why because, because this is where Paul outlines the content of the gospel. There's many applications of the gospel. There's many ways to take the gospel and apply it to our hearts, but there is only one gospel, and that's that is uh, one that we continue to preach from First Corinthians fifteen verses one through eight. It says, "Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved." See, it is a saving message. The saving message is what is it? And uh, but but let's uh, but let's go on with the reading and. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 2, it says, If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there's a way in which you might believe in an empty thing. That, that is, your faith itself is empty uh, because it is placed in the wrong thing. You may have heard the words of the gospel, maybe the doctrines of the gospel. Maybe you've heard the history of Jesus of Nazareth dying on a Roman cross. Uh, uh, maybe you've heard the uh, even the religious claims that he rose from the grave uh, three days later. Uh, but but uh, perhaps your saving faith isn't placed in him and in his work on your behalf. You have some sort of a faith, but it's an empty faith. Maybe it's just a faith for safety. Maybe it's faith for health. Maybe it's faith for uh, uh, faith uh, that is for uh, for money or provision uh, or protection. But this isn't about that kind of faith. This is the faith that saves. That's why we call it saving faith because it's placed upon the the uh, the gospel as what saves if you didn't believe with an empty faith verse 3 for i delivered to you of first importance this is first importance there is no other priority when it turn, comes to preaching the gospel here it is what i also received that here it is that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. Why does he include the fact that he was buried? Because it's part of the evidence that he truly did die. The fact that he was buried in a, in a tomb with a stone in front of the tomb meant, uh, meant that he had truly died. He had been declared dead by the professional executioners at the side of the cross. And, uh, uh, and then that's the reason why he was buried, because he was truly dead. And then it says, and he was raised the third day, according to the scriptures. Again, the fact that the Messiah died for our sins and the fact that the Messiah was raised on the third day are all according to fulfilled passages and prophecies of scriptures. That's part of Paul's message, is that this is not a new set of things uh, that uh, you're learning. This is a set of things that have been in place for hundreds of years in the written word of God if you'd been paying attention.
listen to Isaiah or Psalm or uh, any number of other Old Testament passages. That's the reason why it's important that Paul links these historical events surrounding Jesus's work on earth and and, uh, connects them directly to the scriptures of the the Jewish people, because those scriptures speak of the Messiah. Um, And uh, Daniel chapter 9 talks about the Messiah being cut off and have nothing. Uh, Isaiah 53 talks about uh, that uh, all of us, like sheep, have been have uh, gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, Psalm 22 talks about uh, that he was pierced through and uh, his his hands and his feet, and that the the uh, uh, his uh, executioners. Uh, uh, gambled over his clothing. And that's what Psalm 22 prophesies. Well, that's the reason why Paul links Jesus's work in the in producing the gospel message uh, directly to the uh, Hebrew prophets. It says, and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he continues in verse five, he appeared to uh, Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. He's talking about some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So his appearances are recorded in various different locations, various different audiences, various different uh, levels of receptivity, if you want to include that in there, um, so that his appearances are part of the evidences of him being raised on the third day. So that is the gospel. Christ, that is the Messiah, Jesus, died on the cross for our sins, and he was raised the third day. The fact he was buried shows that he truly did die. The fact that he appeared shows uh, the evidence that he truly did raise from the dead. What was all this about? Our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is about our gain. This is what we have. We now possess something we didn't have before, and that's the glory of God. And it's not because of our glory or our goodness or our religious uh, practices or anything else. It's because of what Jesus has purchased for us. It is it is a chance to gain his glory. Uh, Philippians 1.21 says, for to me, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, first, uh, that is in Philippians 3.8. It says, for whom, and Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order may, that I may gain Christ. Uh, and that's part of God's plan is that we gain what Jesus has won for us on our behalf. And so then he concludes by saying, so then brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or by letter from us. So don't stray. And he's not hes not talking about uh, men's traditions or elders' traditions that Jesus talked about earlier. He's talking about the traditions that 
that uh, are the things that we just now talked about. That is the teachings of the gospel itself. Don't stray from the message. The message is central. If we tamper with the message, we have nothing to give to people to to offer to them. Uh, we have a certain uh, kind of uh, flowery words, perhaps. We have nothing substantial to give to people who need salvation. It says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, he links them together as one person here uh, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. It's not something we've earned. This is something that he's given to us. This is a gift to be received. And so this is a work of his that we inherit and we are spiritually uh, endowed with this future inheritance. And it says, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. We're not saved by our works, but God has put us here for those works. And uh, that's why we are here, uh, is, is to continue to stand firm in the gospel and continue to proclaim this good news that uh, those who are lost can be retrieved, those who are sinners can be um, set free and can, can be forgiven, and those who are without Christ can find him and know him and walk with him and gain the glory of God because of their trust in the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray that if there's any in the listening audience that have perhaps had some sort of empty faith, I pray that the day the Holy Spirit would convict them and draw them to true saving faith in the death of Christ for them and for their sins so that they can know him and his resurrection and know his eternal life that he desires to give to them as his promise, as his hope to them for our future. We thank you so much for these words of comfort and hope and strength as we stand in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>